Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Romans chapter 8, which is on page 1096 of your Pew Bible, and we'll be reading three passages from that chapter 8, beginning with chapter, uh, with verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, 
but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Heavenly Father, I ask that you join us here this morning and calm our hearts. I ask that you clear from our minds all of the daily troubles that we carry with us and that you allow us to come to uh, the message that um, you've laid on Pastor Mark's heart with an expectation and um, curiosity and an eagerness to, to hear and understand. I just pray that you will give him uh, the words to um, communicate to us and allow us to, to hear and to understand. Bless his time, I pray, Lord. Amen. God's love overcomes all condemnation. So that's an important part of this morning's story and how we got to the message. Now, an important question always to ask from a biblical text and from a biblical Christian sermon is, what is God in Christ Jesus saying to us these days? It's not sufficient to stop at what he said to them in their, their days, but what is he saying to us in these days. And these days is important, not because the Bible means something different to every generation, but it does need to be applied differently for every generation. We are not in Rome in the year of our Lord 60-something AD as the local congregation to whom Paul was writing originally. We're not in the 16th century England or 17th century America when the Puritans were influencing the English-speaking church, and they still are. We're not even in the 20th century, which saw the rise and the collapse, I can say it that way, I think, of evangelicalism. It's on its way down anyway. And we're in the 21st century now. Accordingly, we must ask a related question that is very nearly as important as the first. How can we, or how do we, or how will we allow the Holy Spirit to apply what he is saying to our hearts, our minds, our lives, and our ministries today through the biblical text and with the Spirit's help. 
the answer to both of those vital questions is in some way the central truth of the day. God's love overcomes all condemnation. So I'd like to spend the rest of our time, attention, and seating capacity this morning on seeing the truth of that. God's love overcomes all condemnation. And I'd like to pray before we move on. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this, your word. I pray that you'd give me the ability to speak it clearly, cleanly. And I pray also that you'll give us the same sort of hearing, clean hearing, clear hearing. That we won't presume, we won't read in, we won't uh, do anything but listen to what you are saying to us by your word, both in scripture and carried along by the spirit to our minds and our hearts through a very fallible vessel. Lord, I thank you for bringing these here this morning. We, we will simply make the judgment that, that exactly the people you needed to be here or you wanted to be here are here and who needed to be here, whether here in person or over the live stream. And we thank you, Lord, for giving us the opportunity to hear from you, even through a frail preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace, faith, love, suffering, hope, glory. Grace, faith, love, suffering, hope, glory. Here are six imperatives of the authentic biblical Christian life. Another way of saying that is these are six promises of the love of God in Christ Jesus to everyone that he has drawn, he has drawn to himself in love. They are ours in Christ Jesus, all six of them, whether we want them or not. There are also six key biblical values, six key confirming characteristics, six, six key shared aspects of the authentic Christian life that we've bumped up against over the last three weeks here in Romans chapter 8. And we'll keep bumping up against them for the rest of our Christian lives. So we have to plan for them. We have to expect them. We have to pursue them. And I'm going to come back to these before we're done this morning, but for now, let's just say them out loud together to help us get them into our minds and our hearts. Grace, faith, love, suffering, hope, glory. Join me. Grace, faith, love, suffering, hope, glory. Good. Thank you. We started this mini-series three weeks ago out of a friend's observation that we need some encouragement around here. We need some joy around here, and we need a win. And I won't lie, I do too. I, I know I'm not alone in any sense, and the potential sources of discouragement are very nearly infinite. Do you have a wife or a husband? Start there. Kids, they'd be next. Parents, or maybe even parents who weren't perfect, 
There we go, the family trifecta. And we haven't even gotten off the farm yet. How about a self? Is there anyone out there who has a self? That's a fourth predictable source of deep discouragement, even despair, if we're not careful. And still, we haven't gotten off the farm or out of the house yet. You'll notice I haven't even mentioned the weather, the crops, the livestock, the garden, the neighbors, the coworkers, the bosses, the job, the government. You can fill in your own blanks of the sources of dis disappointment that you've come across even recently. But let's get out of the house and off the farm because there's more, there's much more. How about friends? Do you happen to have any friends? Well, friends are another, not quite in the family, not quite in the house, not quite on the farm, but close enough and dear enough to be a major source of disappointment. And then there's the church. Both in its local expressions as well as in its larger, wider, even national or global expression. How terribly we can be hurt and disappointed with the church, in the church, and by the church, which is to say with our closest affinity group, our faith family, and our friends. Disappointments with the church can result from wrongdoing, wrong teaching, or wrong believing, wrong leading, wrong following. They may come over disagreements, misunderstandings, or outright misrepresentations. Serious disappointment may be caused by the church with the church in matters of substance, doctrine and practice, or more often personal pettiness, preference and pride. A big reason for all these potential sources of disappointment leading even to despair is that the church is made up heretofore and so long as we're living on this earth of fallen and frail human beings. And we are associating ourselves, in every case, with fallen and frail human beings. And when your fallenness and frailty and my fallenness and frailty come up and bump up against each other sometimes, it's not happy. It's disappointing. But we're doing more than associating ourselves with other fallen and frail human beings, aren't we? We've been assembled together by Jesus Christ himself as his church and not merely for better or for worse or until death parts us. No, Jesus has bought us with his blood, drawn us to himself and sealed us by his spirit and he will keep us throughout all eternity. Now that's the biblical Christian truth wherein Jesus promises us his very presence and his unlimited power to live well and rightly and truly as his disciples and as children of the living God in this life and in this ministry on this earth in our time and place. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And still, the authentic life and ministry are hard and we experience many disappointments. We must also consider the very real and recurrent possibility along our way that we, that is you and I and us, may well be the besetting source of disappointment for others. Oftentimes we don't think about this side of the ledger. In fact, we can count on disappointing others if we're in relationship with them for very long at all. We can count on being someone else's disappointment and theirs ours. 
Taken individually, both the authentic Christian life and real ministry are way harder than the unchristian and self-indulgent life. Being aware of our own sin is hard. Being aware of each other's sins is hard. Forgiving ourselves and forgiving each other is hard too. This is part of the inward groaning in the spirit that we looked at last week and that Kate just read in Romans chapter chapter 8. But if we are true disciples of Jesus, true Jesus people, and if we are truly Jesus' people, if together we constitute a true expression of Jesus' church, the household of the living God, we do hard things all the time. We always have. We always will until Jesus comes and time is no more. This series is entitled Persevering by Faith and Hope in Christ Jesus. It is not entitled Waffling or Wavering or Cowering or Cringing or Unbelieving or Lacking Hope in Christ Jesus. Of course it isn't. None of those are either biblical or Christian. The gospel of Jesus Christ calls us to persevere in grace hope, faith, love, suffering, and glory. Now, the single most important truth, the the glue that holds all this together, rather than letting it all fall apart and every person for him or herself, just happens to be the central truth of our message for this morning. God's love overcomes all condemnation. I've lost my way here. That's not where it's supposed to be, but that's where it is. That's my fault, no one else's. That massive, eternity-changing, but very practical, all-the-day-long, everyday truth is all that Romans 8 is all about. It's the central truth of Romans 8 as well as the gospel. It begins in verse 1 where we read these very familiar but mind-blowing and freedom-securing words. There is, therefore, now no condemnation. Hmm. I wonder what no means. There is, therefore, now In this present time, it was different in the past, but now, since Jesus has come, since Jesus has saved us, since we are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, last week we dealt with a little bit of a textual problem because some of the manuscripts read this way. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set me free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And we noted that that makes a lot of sense in the flow of the text because in chapter 7, Paul is giving from about verse 14 a very personal testimony about he's still his, his, his ongoing struggle with sin. Who can deliver me from this body of death, he said, but praise be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is now, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who 
are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. It makes perfect sense. But the rest of the book talks about these, the application of Christ's love in the spirit to the church. You, plural. So we have some manuscripts, manuscripts that says that say has set me free, and we have other manuscripts that just about the same quality has set me free, and so there's a little bit of a problem there that we have to deal with when we're preaching it. But the sum total of all of that is this is great news for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we have to ask the question, are we in Christ Jesus? What does that mean? It, it means, well, first of all, that we've come to a knowledge that apart from Christ, we are lost. That we have sinned. Our sin has separated us from a holy God. And we need a rescue. We need to be revived. We need someone to step over the gap between us and God, which is massively, even infinite. Christ came to pay our debt of sin and to free us from the guilt and shame of our sin so that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now I want you to listen very carefully. If you are in Christ Jesus, you have been set free from the law of sin and death. And instead, you now live under, you now live in, and you now live through, quoting our text here, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Do you see that in the text? Here, here, here's a more important question. Now I'm caught up. Do you believe it? Do we believe it? Now it's often said that we have more trouble believing truth like this for ourselves. I'm not really sure this is, this is so in this particular case. I think we're much more inclined to condemn those who are already freed by Christ from the law of sin and death than we are to condemn ourselves. I mean, there's, there's probably some psychology that will inform us here. But I don't, mean a whole, I don't meet a whole lot of people who condemn themselves, but I meet a whole lot of people who are willing to condemn others. I've received it myself recently. Do we believe it in toto? That means completely. For us, for them, for you, for me. Because here's the thing. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, even you, even me, even us, even them, for the law of the spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus 
from the law of sin and death. That means it's, it's, it has no longer any power over us. No claim. Okay, so here comes a next step application of this massive eternal truth that could literally revolutionize, and I, I, I'm quite serious when I say this, could literally revolutionize the life and ministry of every believer in Christ Jesus and every local expression of Jesus' church in the world. And you probably think that's hyperbolic, but it isn't. Try this out. So let's just say for the moment, the sake of argument will say, you are, that is you, you sitting there in the pews, you individually, and you collectively, you are in Christ Jesus. Now, I can't know that for you, and you can't know that for me. Not, not ultimately speaking. That's between you and God, and, and, and it'll all worship, wash out um, eventually. But for the time being right now, let's just assume that we are, all of us here listening, in Christ. And there is, therefore, now no condemnation for you, for me, for us, because we are in Christ Jesus. For or because the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Sin and death no longer have any hold over you. Even physical death has no hold on you because the the scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus has secured a sure resurrection for us that begins now in eternal life and extends through eternity without a break, without an interruption. So every single individual, whoever is in Christ Jesus, has been set free from the law of sin and death by the law of the spirit of life, right? Good. At least I think, I think we're tracking there. I hope we are. It gets harder pretty quickly, though, not so much to understand but to practice. The general summary statement of this condition for you, for me, for us, brought about by the very presence and power of the Holy Spirit to apply to your life and my life and our life and eternity, all of us that Jesus purchased for us and by his blood is, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm out of sync again. But this is true for every single true believer in Christ Jesus who ever lived throughout human history. And we'll say, though, more, I guess, more probably accessible since Pentecost and the Christian church was born. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? I keep repeating it. I know, but there's a reason. And here's the reason. It comes with a question. So why are so many Christians still condemning so many Christians? It's a serious question. Because here's the thing. If God is for us, who can be against us? This is Paul's argument. This is an incredibly important and relevant question for us today, and not just for folks out there. We have in the church, I'm not talking merely about Bethesda Church here, but I'm, I'm talking about the church 
We, we, we have brother in Christ Jesus condemning brother in Christ Jesus, sister in Christ Jesus condemning sister in Christ Jesus. In some cases, families in Christ Jesus condemning families in Christ Jesus. Churches in Christ Jesus condemning churches in Christ Jesus. What is going on? I have a theory. I think it's a good one. I think it's more than a theory, though, and I, I think it's Bible truth. Here it is. We don't actually believe it. And maybe we never have. What does it mean for us and for others who are in Christ Jesus to have no condemnation upon our life, that we have been set free from condemnation? What is that? How would, how would that play out in our lives, in our speech, in our relationships, in our expectations, in our demands? My theory is we don't actually believe there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's more like we believe, for the sake of self-preservation, I suppose, there is therefore now no condemnation for those I or we think or I or we agree or I or we approve of. Those folks are in Christ Jesus, until they're not, apparently. Well, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, felt it so important that he wrote an entire spirit-illumined, spirit-infused chapter, Romans chapter 8, to deal with this issue in which he concluded by applying the truth of verses 1 to 30 to eternity starting now. So I want you to see it in the text. Pull out a Bible if you don't already have it out and turn with me to Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to begin at verse 31. Verse 31. And as we begin to read the fitting conclusion to this truth, that for every single person in all times and places until Jesus returns and time is no more, as well as every local expression of Jesus Christ of whom he approves, there is therefore now no condemnation. And this, is a, this entire chapter is a working out of that truth until we get to chapter, 30, chapter 8, verse 31, and he begins to land the plane, as they say. What then shall we say? Paul is saying, we've covered a lot of territory here. I think he's probably also implying we ought to know what I'm about to say, but I need to say it anyway. What then shall we say to these things? Question number one, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, this statement is probably for his readers who are in Christ, and it's probably to encourage them, and certainly it should. If God is for us, then who on this earth can be, for, be against us? That's the question, really. But I think it has two sides to this coin. One side is to encourage those who are free from the law of sin and death because they've been set free by the, spirit, the law of the spirit of life. But I think it's also for those who would be inclined not to believe it, not to practice it. To say, be careful. Be careful. Because if, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for you, who can be against you? I better not be. I'm on the opposite side of God in that case. I think that's the double edge of these questions. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, 
but gave him up for us all. Question number two, how will he, the God who did not spare his own son, how will he not also with him, that is, with Christ, graciously give us all things? It's a really hard thing to get over, especially if you're on staff in a church. It's a really hard thing to get over the fact that you're not indispensable. That the church, the people, the ministries, the programs, whatever is associated with our organization does not belong to us. In fact, they don't need you. That's a hard thing to come to terms with. And why? Because Jesus is the head of the church. It's his church, which is to say it's his people. And he can do with it, do with them, what he wishes. And here's the kicker, and he will. Question number three. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect. So we're getting deeper into the warning and trouble category here. And the point here is, it is God who justifies. And if God has justified someone, who are we to put them back into jail or to bring them to court? That's the question that he's asking here. Verse 34, who is to condemn? Remember, he began this chapter with, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 34, who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, and he means this very moment is present tense, continuous, interceding for us until he leaves the throne of God to come get us. This is the point that's made several times in the New Testament, including here in Romans chapter 8. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, this is the most important question. How do we know that? Because it's the only question that's asked twice. Here it is in the middle of this section, and it's at the end of the section. So this really gets to the heart of Paul's argument. It's a rhetorical question because everybody who knows anything knows that no one can separate us from the love of God in Christ. No one can do that. Now, some people, some people argue that we could do that. I mean, I, I can separate myself from the love of God in Christ, and I don't believe that at all. Once God has us, God has us, and he does not let us go. I don't mean that there can't be people who go apostate. There are clearly are churches that go apostate, but here's something I really appreciated about John Piper several years ago. He was going, I don't even remember, I think he was in Jude, I'm not sure, but, but uh, he said, the way I read the Bible, times are going to get harder, more churches are going to go apostate, more believers are going to go apostate, but here's the point. 
You don't have to. Your church doesn't have to. There's nothing in Scripture that says all churches everywhere, all Christians everywhere will go apostate. In fact, it says the the opposite of that. It says in Revelation over and over again, for those who overcome. And you can, we can be overcomers. And this is part of that process here. So who shall separate us from the love of God and uh, love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Well, he hasn't answered the question yet. He's just continuing the question. As it is written, for your sake, for God's sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, verse 37, in all these things... Here's the answer. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us, even if we lose our physical life. That's his point. If we are in Christ, we are more than conquerors. To To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, so we win. We win. No matter if we're killed out in the missionary field and nobody ever sees us or knows where we're buried... No matter if we're not buried, maybe the animals get us. That is is of no account to God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because no one and no thing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Nothing. For I am sure, verse 38, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come. Now, what's missing there? I I just, for the first time, I noticed it when Kate was reading. What's missing? The past. The past cannot separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Or me. Nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor, nor anything else in all creation. I don't know about comprehensive lists, but that's pretty comprehensive. Nor anything in all creation. None of that and none of those will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's true for you who are in Christ. That's for, true for me who, are in, who is in Christ. That's true for us who are in Christ. And so... How about we begin to live like there is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Because the spirit, the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. How about we start living that way? How about we start allowing others to live that way? Finally, I told you I was coming back to it because it answers the question asked by my title, who or what will separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus our Lord? And these verses answer that question. And here it is, my original central truth that is more of a summary. And I'm going to have to, oh, that's it right there. How about that? I didn't count the amen in the number. So if you count them, amen was not counted. I I added that later. Here it is. 
The singular purpose and indivisible unity of the one true almighty triune and loving God in Christ Jesus. All of those attributes build into this conclusion. In other words, all of God guarantees that no thing and no one can ever and will never separate his redeemed people from his eternal love. Do we believe that for ourselves? Do we believe that for each other? Do we believe that for people who are being drawn to the Lord who aren't here yet? This is worth, I almost said fighting for, but in the context of this message, it's probably not the right way to put it. This is worth investing our lives over, is maybe a better way of putting it. I still like it, all 38 words, but God's love overcomes all condemnation is better, I admit. So Neil's right. Let's pray together. Lord, as exhilarating and as encouraging and as hopeful and as joyous this truth that your love overcomes all condemnation, our own com- condemnation of ourselves, our, uh, the condemnation of others, the condemnation that comes from the devil, often through others. Lord, um, your love has overcome all that. And the truth is there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. None, zero. Christ took all of it upon himself and it's finished. Help us to live like that, Lord, and help us to allow others to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen.